The sermon text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. And as we look at this verse, I want to read the verse in its broader context. So I will read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we saw last week, and perhaps many of you noticed in the reading this morning, this passage in Hebrews, is organized around three very clear exhortations. First is, let us draw near to God, as we saw last Sunday in verse 22. The second is, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, so verse 23. And thirdly, we read, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is verses 24 through 25. So this morning, we will consider this second exhortation that we see there in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And so as we begin, we need to see, loved ones, that these exhortations that we read are not bare laws. They're not commandments that come to us without any kind of foundation. But what we see in this passage and throughout the epistle to the Hebrews, these exhortations flow from what is already true of us in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is already true of us as believers in him. These exhortations are, we might say, imperatives that flow out of the indicatives of the gospel. Imperatives being what we are exhorted to, indicatives being what is true of us as Christians. What is true of us as those who are united to Christ by faith, what is true of us as those who have received the blessings of our salvation, those are the indicatives of the gospel. So as we look at these exhortations, we want to see that there are these two indicatives in the passage, these two realities. Both of them, we see, begin with the word since. The first indicative we see in the passage is that Christ has accomplished our salvation. And look at verses 19 through 20. Therefore, brothers, since, see that word? Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. This is the first indicative that we see that is laying the groundwork 
for those three exhortations that we read. This is, as we see in these verses, this first indicative is in the past tense. What the author is doing is he is directing us back to the cross of Christ. You see there he refers to the cross of Christ as the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. What the author is pointing at is that something definite happened when Christ died on the cross. And that reality was evidenced by the tearing of the curtain in the temple from top to bottom. That When that curtain was torn from top to bottom, and Jesus died on the cross, that wall of separation, that curtain that was an indicator of man's separation from God because of man's sin, that curtain, that barrier that existed between man and God was finally brought down. And so the picture here in verses 19 and 20 is not only a future salvation, that glorification that we all anticipate on the last day when Christ returns, but these verses are pointing us to Christ's accomplished work in the past. See, accomplished work that secures for us our eternal glorification. So that's the first indicative, what Christ has accomplished. The second one, we see in verse 21, Christ is our risen and ascended great high priest. Verse 21 reads, And since, again there's that word, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. You know, before we began this series through Hebrews, that verse might not have meant much to you. That we have a great priest over the house of God. But now I'm confident that as we have been working our way verse by verse through the chapters of Hebrews, and we've seen the many ways that Christ is our superior priest, to hear now in verse 21 that we have a great high priest over the house of God is wonderfully comforting because we know all that that involves. We know the boldness and the assurance and the peace and the joy that that gives us knowing that Christ even now is in heaven for us. So we see in these indicatives that we're pointed to Christ's past accomplished work and now his current work, his work that is ongoing is made evident to us, his work that is ongoing in heaven for us. We, loved ones, are assured that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a champion in heaven who is for us, for you and for me. We read in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 through 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, speaking of Christ, because he continues forever. Consequently, Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Even now, at this very moment, Christ 
is interceding for you, as we've said is the Holy Spirit. Loved ones, these are, are the indicatives. This is what is true of us at this very moment, that Christ has accomplished our salvation and that he continues his intercession for us. And so we need to see that it's out of these indicatives, these realities, that we now read this second imperative that is given to us in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We see the first point there, hold fast to the confession of our hope, the first point in the sermon outline. Now, to hold fast means to hold firmly to the faith that we profess. It's the same word that, uh, phrase that the writer used in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. We read those verses for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The exhortation there being again, hold fast to your confession. And the word used here for confession, uh, it means a public uh, and a doctrinal confession of what we believe. It means to publicly Declare what you believe, what I believe. You know, as a Reformed church, and if you're visiting with us this morning, it might have seemed new to you. As a Reformed church, we have what are called our confessions and our catechisms. Um, We specifically at this church have the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was written during the 1640s. And it's a confession that is a summary of what Scripture teaches. We don't say that it's inerrant and infallible like Scripture is. It's subordinate to Scripture. But it helpfully summarizes what Scripture teaches for us. And we confess it in our church. This morning we confessed the Heidelberg Catechism. And we said it together. So we heard each other saying it, right? It's a public declaration to each other and to the world of what we believe. It's what we have regularly in our worship time as we confess our faith Together, And so the writer here, when he's writing about the confession of our hope, he's writing about the substance of our hope, that confession referring to what we believe, what our faith is grounded upon, the knowledge that we are certain about that we received, that we received from Scripture. So when he's speaking about the confession, he's speaking about the substance of our hope, We might say the reason for our hope. And what we see in this context, in Hebrews specifically, is that hope that we have flows from Christ and his priestly ministry to us. There's this intimate connection between certain hope and what Christ has accomplished and continues to do for us as our great high priest. 
And so, loved ones, as we consider what hope means in this context, that's why it's important as we consider this word to understand that it's very, very different from how uh, non-Christians might speak about hope. Because when the Bible speaks about hope, it never speaks about it as a wishful thinking about the hope that we have in Christ. We, for example, uh, use the word hope that way sometimes, uh, speak about wishful thinking. We say things like, uh, I hope to win the game. Uh, I hope to be successful someday. Um, And what we're saying in essence when we use that phrase is we're saying in essence, you know, it might or it might not happen. I don't know, right? It's Something I'm not sure of, but I, I kind of hope it'll, it'll come to pass. Um, but loved ones, when the Bible speaks about hope, it speaks of confident assurance. It means to look forward to something expectantly, joyfully, in anticipation of what God will certainly bring about. See, it's not a maybe or maybe not, but it is confident assurance, joyful anticipation. And so why then did the Hebrews need to be exhorted to hold fast to their confession of hope? We know it's because they were tempted to leave their confession. They had at one point in their lives confessed Christ as the Messiah, as the Savior sent by God to save his people from their sins. But the Hebrew Christians in the first century the original audience of this letter, uh, the Hebrew Christians were tempted now, at this point when the letter was written, to uh, forsake Christ, to leave their confession and to return to Judaism, to return to the Old Covenant, sometimes we might say the Old Testament way of worshiping God. So it's because of the fact that they were experiencing persecution. Uh, They weren't very mature in their faith. And all of these things brought about this temptation to leave their confession. Loved ones, many of us this morning can relate to this, can't we? Now, for us this morning, it might not be uh, outright persecution that is tempting us to forsake Christ, to uh, leave our confession of hope. It might not be outright persecution like it was for the Hebrews, But it might be uh, something as subtle as uh, being mocked in a college classroom by a professor and your fellow students because you actually believe what the Bible teaches. Uh, It might be something as subtle as opposition from family and friends, simple rejection, not inviting you to events because of the fact that you're a Christian. It might be something like discouragement that you receive from an unbelieving spouse who you are living with, who you are seeking to love, who you are seeking to demonstrate the truths of the gospel to and explain the truths of the gospel to, but there is discouragement, there is rejection. And it may be a result, even our temptation to forsake and to leave the confession of, our confession of hope because of our own struggles in sanctification, our struggle with sin every day. Um, These temptations are real for many of us, and especially that last one, for all of us. 
So, loved ones, the writer of Hebrews exhorts us all, see, not just those first century Christians, but all of us, to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Why are we to hold fast to it? Because, loved ones, this is the only hope. This is the only hope. There is no other ground for hope. See, hope, by definition, looks forward to what will come, but that looking forward, that eager anticipation is based on what we confess about the past, what we confess about what Christ accomplished on the cross. That gives us joy and anticipation for that future glorification that we will experience when he returns for his church. We look back to his first coming in anticipation of his second coming, and that gives us hope and joy and eager anticipation. And so if you remove this hope, loved ones, there is no other hope. There's no other religion. There's no other philosophy that you can turn to to have that kind of eager anticipation of the future. This is the only truth that can bring about true, lasting, eternal hope. And so, loved ones, this is the radical difference then between the hope of unbelievers and believers. For those who reject Christ, there is no future glory, there is no salvation, but for those who hold fast to him, there is that confident assurance of future glory. So what we read in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Peter there says, and we read this during our second reading, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See how Peter there, in verse 3, speaks about a living hope? How does that living hope come about, that eager anticipation of the future that we confess as Christians? Peter says that future living hope is connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, pointing us to the past. What Christ has accomplished is what gives us that assurance, that eager anticipation of the future. And so we are to hold fast to our confession. Secondly, we are told that we are to hold fast to it without wavering. Now, the description here is that we are to hold fast or to hold firmly without wavering. This description intensifies the exhortation, doesn't it? Gives it a, an urgency. Hold fast to it without wavering. We're to hold to it unswervingly. There's to be stability and consistently on our faith and our hope. This word, to hold fast without wavering, it can be used to describe a person who is not dissuaded from a particular view, who is confident and who continues on their track because they are confident of what they believe. So, loved ones, what might cause us then to swerve and waver in our confession of hope? We know in the examples of Scripture that it is often the things of this life that can 
cause us to waver. Uh, it is often the false hopes that are presented to us as, as being better than the eternal hope that we have in Christ. We are so often tempted to place our hope in the things of this world, those things that are physical, those things that might, we might think might bring us faster gratification rather than putting our hope, setting our hope in what Christ will bring about in eternal glory. By doing that, by placing our hope in what is temporal and the things of this world, that often causes us to do is to lose our eternal perspective, to lose our eternal perspective. Um, Psalm 33, which we read as our first reading this morning, Psalm 33 describes how important it is for us to have an eternal perspective and how an eternal perspective helps us to have that confession and to have that unswerving confession of hope that we are called to have as Christians. In Psalm 33, verses 13 through 17, listen to the way that God's perspective is described to us here. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. What the psalmists, what the scriptures are giving us here is God's perspective, that eternal perspective that we see, you know, when we read the Old Testament, we read about how Israel and Judah, how they were invaded by the kingdoms of Babylon and Assyria. And so often we read about the boasts of the Babylonians and about the Assyrians, that it was by their great might that they overcame the people of God. And yet, loved ones, what we see in the eternal perspective is God's mind and God's decree, that we know that it was God who brought those events about, that it is God who has the heart of the king in his hand, and he turns it how he wants. And so that's why the psalmist is saying that the war horse is a false hope for salvation, that the kings of Kingdoms of this world that boast in their own strength, that are confident because of what they might accomplish. The psalmist is saying those are false hopes. What we need is that eternal perspective. And that is what can help us not to waver. It can help us to remain stable and consistent. Loved ones, even under persecution, even under rejection, even when experiencing illness of varying degrees, experiencing the loss of loved ones, it's that eternal perspective that gives us the ability to hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, because it is a perspective that is grounded in uh, what God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. A theologian named Gerhardus Voss summarized it this way. He says, uh, the Christian man, you could substitute a woman as well. A Christian is a man who lives with his heavenly destiny 
destiny ever in full view. His outlook is not bounded by the present life and the present world. He sees that which is and that which is to come in their true proportions and in their proper perspective. The center of gravity of his consciousness lies not in the present, but in the future. Hope, not possession, is that which gives tone and color to his life. His is the frame of mind of the heir who knows himself entitled to large treasures upon which he will enter at a definite point in time. A confident anticipation, loved ones, of what is ours in Christ, what we have now and what is yet to come. So thirdly, we see in our verse that we are to hold fast because of the fact that he who promised, he who made these promises to us, is faithful. We read again verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Loved ones, you know and I know how fickle we are, how we so often struggle with consistency. Uh, If I was to take a poll of how many of us have, you know, maintained our New Year's resolutions. I don't want to take that poll right now, right? Uh, We are fickle. We struggle with consistency. We struggle with following through, with keeping our promises. That is the nature of of, of being a sinner, right, of of struggling in sanctification. That is something that many of us struggle with. But, loved ones, God is not like that. He's not fickle. He doesn't change He doesn't vacillate. God does not change his will or his ways. And so the loved ones notice in this verse that that is also our exhortation to hold on, to hold fast to our confession of hope because the one who promised is faithful. See how this exhortation is not grounded in us who are fickle, but we are called to ground our confession of hope In God, because he is faithful. He will not lie. He will not go against his word. Everything that he wrote in scripture is going to come to pass just as it has come to pass. The history of redemption, as we have seen it fulfilled step by step, stage by stage. And yet there is more to come for those who are in Christ. And so, loved ones, it's not bear law. See, the writer of Hebrews doesn't say, be hopeful. Just do it. Muster up hope as much as you can. Just grit your teeth and be hopeful. The writer of Hebrews, what he does is he lays this foundation as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit, this wonderful soil of the indicatives of the gospel. And it is in that soil, loved ones, that hope is implanted and hope grows and thrives. That is the basis of Christian hope. And so how are we then to cultivate hope? What we do is we ground ourselves in those indicatives. We meditate upon what God has done for us in Christ. We meditate upon the blessings that we have through Christ. We think about his past accomplishments as we look forward to what 
remains in store for all those who trust in Christ. This is the pattern that we see in the Psalms. And I want to conclude by reading Psalm 111. And notice as I read this Psalm, as the psalmist recounts God's past faithfulness and how based upon God's past faithfulness, he exhorts us to trust and to hope in the Lord. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed and with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's so wonderfully and beautifully and completely outlines for us the faithfulness that you have shown to your people in the past that shows us and reveals to us the blessings that we have in Christ at this very moment and that so beautifully describes what is yet to come for all those who trust in him. Lord, we pray that you would grant us hope that is grounded upon the indicatives of the gospel. Lord, that as we struggle with sin, as we struggle with rejection in this life, Lord, that you would cause us to be firm in our faith, grounded in the assurance of what is yet to come for all those who trust in Christ. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.